Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and can't apologise enough to Derby County fans for the massive harshing of your buzz that's about to happen. I'm Kevin Day and here's Liverpool <laughs> University's Kieran Maguire. It's, it's questions day, Kieran, but we have a couple of news stories. Um, the first being that producer Guy has gone rogue again, as you'll know. Yes. <laughs> I, asked, I asked a while back if he could perhaps sub some of the questions down a little bit before before he sent them and uh, we have one today that's so long I had to leave a trail of crumbs so I could find my way out of it to be perfectly honest well, well when they have chapters you do start to worry you do start to worry a little bit anyway, anyway on to the question says the question uh, I also start to worry when I say uh, I mention the word sub in front of you I shouldn't do that either should I? <laughs> uh, and don't google that anybody anyway let's get uh, let's get the Derby story out of the way so their fans can get back to celebrating um, and as predicted, Kieran, the takeover is seriously in doubt. Yes, um, and, and there's uh, th- there's no solace in any of this. You know, if, if you're a Derby County fan, you want to start planning for next season with a degree of certain, with a degree of certainty, and that's what we're not getting at present. Um, there is, in theory, a bid from a guy called Eric Alonso. There's bits that we do know about him and there's bits that we, we don't know about him. So Eric Alonso is a director of a company called No Limit Sports Limited, um, which claims that it's uh, interested in buying Derby County. Um, if you go to Company's House, uh, No Limit Sports Limited consists of a company which has two pounds in its bank account. Holy mother! Really? Um, which uh, which isn't a great start when uh, when, when you're looking to uh, fund fund the acquisition. Um, there's been a number of stories uh, rumbling around the the newspapers in in the past few days. Um, it apparently, uh, according to one, Eric Alonso was asked by the EFL as part of its owners and directors test. And, and I think it, yeah, the EFL are doing exactly the right thing. Mm. Um, they said, we want a £35 million deposit paid um, just to show that you've got the resources to carry through this deal. That was two weeks ago. The EFL, if the, tr- if the story is correct, haven't heard a dicky bird mm. since uh, from Mr. Alonso. Um, he's, uh, he's, he's appeared on national radio, I believe, saying there's nothing wrong, everything's going ahead. Uh, but you know, I think as early as January, he was trying to buy Sheffield Wednesday. He offered uh, £30 million to Delphon Chancery. Um, at the time, Alonso was an advisor to Sheffield Wednesday. That, that deal was turned down, or that offer was turned down. Um, he then, uh, again, according to senior people at Cardiff City, <laughs> I don't know what happened there. Was that? I think that was Siri putting in a special appearance. Yeah, um, or Finley's getting more clever than we thought. <laughs> um, he, he then apparently put in a bid for Cardiff City, uh, according to Eric Alonso, and uh, Cardiff City said, well, we did get a phone call from him, but he wasn't prepared to put down a deposit. So we just laughed him off as a, as a tyre kicker. Mm. Um, and there's also... This talk that uh, in order to acquire Derby County, he's going to refinance the stadium, 
Now, the stadium already <laughs> has some form of mortgage over it, we think, from MSD Holdings. So how he's going to pay off that debt and then get another debt or, secured on the stadium. Mm. So it all sounds uh, very messy. Um, you know, at a time when Derby County fans should be sighing a huge sigh of relief and looking forward to the summer, uh, you know, building uh, towards next season, they've got this uh, hanging over them. They don't know who's going to be owning the club They've had a number of offers come and go, um, and it's it's very messy. Um, I've, I have been referred to another story in one of the newspapers talking about financial fair play issues, which are unresolved. Um, and, and, of course, they've also had the charges uh, or the appeal in terms of charges from the EFL, and there, there appears to be no decision, or if there has been a decision with regards to that, um, that decision has not been put in the public domain. So uh, it, it's messy. It needs sorting out as quickly as possible. So whoever is in charge can set a budget and the club can move forwards as quickly as possible. Yeah, and even more worryingly, one of our well-placed sources did some research in Spain talking to a couple of the bigger agents over there, and both of the bigger agents said, They'd never heard of Eric Alonso. They had no idea who he was. And also, talking of Sheffield Wednesday, Kieran, and, and uh, you know, condolences to every club who were relegated yesterday. Um, but people often ask us why we bang on so much about decent owners, decent directors, etc. Sheffield Wednesday wouldn't have gone down if they hadn't been deducted six points for various wrongdoings by ownership, and that's why we bang on about it all the time. But um, Grimsby... Bad news on the pitch, but better news off the pitch for Grimsby. Yes, um, Grimsby Town have new owners, uh, a company called 1878 Partners, um, and consists of a couple of guys who are, um, and I I didn't, I wasn't aware of this, they are Grimbarians. That's what you call a person from Grimsby. Is that really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, oh, I've, I've, been, I've been looking at the Grimsby Telegraph in great detail over the oh, past few days. Um, one of them is called Jason Stockwood. And this is the type of story that I really like. A, he's a local lad. Uh, he's an ex-ball boy. And he's now he's now, you know, uh, he's now now taken control of the club with a partner called Andrew Pettit, business partner. Um, and they are definitely saying all the things that we, we, we like to hear from owners. First of all, they say, you know, we are not owners. We are the temporary custodians of the club. This is not a financial investment. Yeah, we've been successful in our in our personal businesses, and this gives us an opportunity to put something back into the local community. That, that, that which is which is fantastic. Um, I mean, looking at Grimsby, first of all, you know, commiserations in terms of what's happened on the pitch. However, I, I've got their accounts for the last decade or so. Um, what I would say is um, it is well-run club financially. Uh, I know that doesn't necessarily transfer to good things happening on the pitch. Um, the accounts are, are detailed, even though they could have taken the abbreviated accounts option. Mm. So if it's any consolation, and I'm sure this is of zero consolation to, to Grimsby Town fans, um, I would have given them a five-star rating uh, from the Price of Football Analysis of Football Accounts review. Yeah, it might be a consolation to a couple of them, Kieran. You never know. <laughs> They've got a very good and well-organised uh, support fan base as well. Uh, I didn't know that about Grimbarians. That's really interesting. But I guarantee, as we speak, that some of those Grimbarians will be saying, club's not in Grimsby, mate. It's Cleethorpes. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> just, just before we get the tweets. We might as well cut as many tweets off at the source as we possibly can. <laughs> 
Um, and the, I think this goes down as one of the sentences that Guy has emailed that's made me laugh more than any other, which is, um, Mike Ashley says, dark forces are preventing Newcastle from becoming <laughs> a <power> house. <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's not funny. Um, uh, Newcastle performance on Friday night was, was amazing. But uh, yeah. some of those dark forces, Kieran, I imagine that Mike Ashley's accountants, are they? Because he's, I, I kind of get what he's getting at, but has he gone into detail? Well, there are two issues which have come to light in, in, in the last few days. First of all, um, there has been an ongoing investigation into the activities of Newcastle United Football Club from mm. HMRC. This kicked off in uh, 2017, so it's been rumbling away for some time. And it was all to do with a potential uh, £5 million fraud involving agents and players. Um, I believe that uh, Lee Charnley, who is the only director of Newcastle United, he was arrested at the time and it was a big kerfuffle. I think uh, computers were seized. You know, it was uh, it was you know, full uh, full AC12 um, uh, type <laughs> of uh, activity. Um, but uh, it looks like HMS, HMRC have come to a conclusion that there is uh, it's nothing worth pursuing. So a bit of certainty involved. Um, the second issue, is that Mike Ashley has uh, lodged uh, a case with the Competition Appeal Tribunal with regards to the uh, the blocking of the potential sale to the Saudi and Arabia, Saudi Arabian PIF. Mm. Um, the, the the nature of the complaint by Mike Ashley is that the Premier League lacked objectivity. <sighs> And also, they they were acting in either self-interest or in the interests of a small number of clubs who were opposed to the deal going through. Now, we, we, we don't know who those clubs are. Um, uh, an educated guess um, mm. would be that perhaps the big six don't want Saudi Arabian investment because... Um, you know, uh, they don't want a big seven to be created as mm. far as they're concerned, um, because seven into four doesn't go um, unless you watch certain websites. <laughs> uh, excuse me, if the, um, my hay fever kicked in big time yesterday, hence the snuffling in the background. Um, do you think, Kieran, I mean, this this idea that it, it's not a conspiracy theory, but this idea that the, the Premier League and, and other clubs wanted to prevent this takeover has been around for a while. Do you think? Ashley's um, complaint uh, to the competition people post-dates or predates the Super League thing? Do you, or do you think he's he's trying to surf on the, the current unpopularity of the Big Six in the hope that people might be more willing to investigate whether or not they held that bid back? Well, he, he, he does have another lawsuit against the Premier League going through it. Uh, I, think, I think that's going through the traditional courts. Um, so and all and all of this, you know, for people saying, well, yeah, this this appears to be unusual. We've got Mike Ashley and potentially the fan base in alignment. Um, you know, what Mike Mike Ashley is trying to do here, for what we can make out, is that he's trying to get compensation. Now, where's that compensation going to end up? It's going to end up in the in the pockets of Mike Ashley, in all probability. So, um, I, I think this is uh, his, his attempt to uh, to to take things forwards on the back of the collapse of Super League, and mm. uh, we will be looking at a number of Super League related issues. You know, there have been developments at Arsenal, at uh, Liverpool, and Manchester United over the course of the last few days. So we're we'll taking a look at that more depth on on the Thursday show. Um, 
but you, you can understand him wanting to uh, come out, try to come out of this as a, as a good guy. Mm. A bit. So uh, yeah, d- developments developments will take place, and um, if you've got a silver tongue, um, you know if you if you get a uh, phone call from an is it an O one nine one phone uh, phone directory, <laughs> then uh, I, I pick up that phone quick. There's plenty of work available. Yeah, those Super League stories. Is the, if if it's confirmed, the story that Man United's potential new kit sponsor have pulled out because of concerns about fan issues is a massive story, which is why we we will do it properly on uh, Thursday rather than skim over it now. Now, Kieran, the next story is also our first question, which really <laughs> confused me because I've got a very specific system for writing down questions and news stories, but. But yeah, this is a story and a question. So either this is a massive coincidence or Guy has sat on this question for ages on the off chance that Ed Sheeran may become the new shirt sponsor of Ipswich Town. (laughs) Because Ben Andrew said that his favourite band, Enter Shikari, sponsored their local team, St Albans. The Libertines also sponsored Margate. Wet Wet Wet, of course, sponsored Clyde Bank. And Fatboy Slim had his record label on, on seaweed shirts. I'm... Ben says, I'm a whole fan, but I felt inclined to buy the St. Albans shirt as band merch, as many Enter Shikari fans did. Does this have a large boost for team shirt sales? And if so, should more teams do it? And, I mean, basically, if if Ipswich Town shirt's got Ed Sheeran on it, they're going to sell a lot of them. Maybe not to Ipswich Town fans, but they will sell a lot of them to, to teenage pop fans, won't they? Yes, I think they're... Everybody's a potential winner from mm. this. First of all, the artist gets exposure um, in 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 the press, which he wouldn't necessarily. I mean, this, this was which a story been, which was on be fair, BBC Breakfast. He has been struggling for exposure in the past <laughs> decade or so. To be fair, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, but, but it's it, it's free. You know, he, he's yes, not having to course. do anything. Um, um, it, it's great that he's supporting his local club. Um, it's it's good for the club. Will it have a huge boost in sales? Probably not. But the next time, you know, if he's got any sense, the next time he goes on tour, um, and let's face it, you know, he, he, it's it's a it's a fairly low cost talk. He doesn't have to go and pay for a backing band or anything of that nature. It's no. just uh, it's just Ed and a guitar. Um, then it, 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 if the merchandise stalls has this as an option, I think there will certainly be takers. Um, and you know, for an artist as big as Ed Sheeran, um, that could certainly shift units. It's, it's only a one-year deal uh, at present, my understanding, um, for 21-22. But uh, he's lived locally. He's very fond of the club. I, th- I think it's, it's, it's a really good thing to do. It's, it's, a, shy, it's a sign of you know, supporting a, a local business and local mm. community. Um, for... For other bands who perhaps don't have the same, or other artists who don't have the same global uh, footprint, um, it will have a, a minor impact on sales. Yeah, I think the Goldie Looking Chain uh, sponsored the kit of a club uh, one occasion, mm. and, and you know, I think that wouldn't have sold many extra units. But again, it's 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 all it's good for both parties. Yeah, and you remember we spoke to uh, Ipswich's new owner recently, uh, lovely American Brett. Uh, I suspect his daughter may be an Sheeran fan as well, because he's, <laughs> yes, he's promised yeah, yeah. he's he's told her that Hogwarts is in Suffolk. Um, <laughs> so, quite clearly, I think Brett has told uh, Ed that his daughter. But good luck, Ed Sheeran's a genuinely nice young man, I have to say. Um, and as you say, uh, they've become his local team. So well done for supporting them. Um, Fraser Balam, I hope I've pronounced that right. Fraser, uh, Fraser's a Bristol Rovers fan. <laughs> 
<laughs> Again, I apologise, Fraser. He spends most of his time looking in the rearview mirror, he says, at relegation. It loomed up quicker than he thought, didn't it? Or gazing, hopefully, upwards towards the playoffs. Uh, Fraser says he has a simple question for you. What are the financial implications of a steady League One mid-table finish? Right. I, 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 I suspect that producer guy has been sitting on this question for a few weeks. Yeah, you kind of gathered that. He's been sitting on a lot of questions recently. <laughs> I think Such he's as, trying to... Where's our money? Well, exactly, yeah. He's, I think he's doing that. Um, I think he's probably read his daughter, The Princess and the Pea, and he's trying to see how many questions he can sit on before he stops feeling the pea underneath the... Uh, <laughs> that's an esoteric reference, isn't it? Well, yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, right, so if we take a look at League One... Um, three quarters of the teams are losing money. Um, and if you're going to be sticking around uh, in League One, well, it's it's not going to be cheap. The average losses for, for, for teams in, in that tier um, are £30,000 £30, a week. So wow. uh, it, it's, it's, it's grim finances, as it is you know, for the vast majority of clubs in the EFL. Uh, they do have a challenge. Uh, controlling costs. It's a, it's a challenge that that some of them, you know, we, we've got you know, our, our one of our heroes, Andy Holt at Accrington, is he's always managed to to try to uh, set a really tight budget. And I know that uh, they do the so at Tranmere and Shrewsbury and Lincoln yeah. and some other clubs. But it, it's not an easy task. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's you've just got to be able to you know, write that check on a weekly basis and, and not cry too much. I think mm-hmm. if you're an owner of clubs in those lower divisions, because you, you're not really getting a lot of glamour. For your thirty k a week? No, you're not. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, I thought I had to say something off the back of that, Kieran. So I, was, I came up with a platitude. It's better than nothing. Uh, <laughs> Mark Ridley says, "Are you able to throw any light on how release clauses work?" Uh, Reading have a promising youngster called Michael Olise, who allegedly has an eight million pound release clause, with several Premier League clubs rumoured to be interested. If the clause is activated, do Reading? Have to sell him. I recall Arsenal activating Luis Suarez's release clause, uh, Luis clause for a tiny amount of money, I believe, but Liverpool didn't sell him. And it appears to be different in Spain, for example, where players' contracts are centrally held and all seem to have release clauses. Right. Okay. Um, I've looked into this in depth, and uh, I'm also indebted to my good friend Daniel Gee, who is uh, a sports lawyer. Uh, he's got he's got a good book on things. Uh, called Done Deal, which I'd recommend to anybody that's interested in this type of stuff. There are three things that we need to be aware of. First of all, there is a release clause. Secondly, Mm -hmm. there is something called a good faith clause. And thirdly, there is a buyout clause. Now, a release clause is when a player signs a contract, if another club um, offers either the right amount of money, um, and it could involve... uh, uh, it, it could involve other conditions. So it, it could be that if the club is relegated, the, the player automatically is entitled to talk to any clubs that bid more than £5 million. Pounds. Uh, I think Joe Allen had a clause in his contract at Swansea which allowed um, other clubs to put in a bid for him, but there were only five clubs that they, they, they had, to, had to listen to, of whom Liverpool were one. Oh, Liverpool okay. came in and bought him. So, so it, it, it can be quite intricate, this. So if you do have a release clause and uh, the the bidding uh, club satisfies what's referred to as the qualifying conditions, then um, the, the, you don't have to sell him, but you have to allow the player to talk to the other club. So he's, he's given the opportunity to leave if he sees fit. Now, 
there was quite a lot of kerfuffle in, I think it was 2013, when Arsenal famously offered £40 million and one pound mm. for Luis Suarez because mm. there was a clause in... Um, uh, in, in his contract at the time, which was uh, which I, my understanding is, is is a good faith clause, which says that you should, but rather than must, yeah. listen to offers which go above the the sum involved. Uh, now that that would have to be probably tested in court if Liverpool hadn't wanted to sell Suarez, um, and, and you know, uh, Suarez has subsequently said that he he was he was thinking about joining Arsenal. Um, and uh, Stephen Gerrard, who was the Liverpool captain at the time, said, you know, tried to persuaded him to to not take it uh, more than sort of the legal side of things because he says, you know, stay stay here for another twelve months and you'll be able to join a big club as opposed to <laughs> Arsenal. And, um, and and on the basis of that, Suarez, you know, did stick around and of course he ended up at Barcelona. So, you know, th- these. These things can, can take place. It, it, it does look like it's it's a very complicated legal issue. Um, if Liverpool refuse to allow Arsenal to talk to the player, then either Arsenal could have taken Liverpool to court or Suarez could have taken Liverpool to court if he so desired. But it, it's not quite the same um, as a release clause. So I think in respect of uh, Michael Elise. If uh, if Reading do receive an eight million pound offer, and if, if the stories are true, then they would be obliged to allow the player to to talk to the the bidding club. So that's that's where we are domestically. Right. When it comes to Spain, the position is is that the player um, has to, and, and every every contract is my understanding in Spain. Uh, every contract has this buyout clause uh, embedded within it. And um, the player uh, has to buy himself out of any remaining years of, of that case. Mm. Now, what normally happens, if, if we take the case of uh, Neymar going from Barcelona to uh, PSG, I think the, the clause was, yeah, two, was it 222 million euro. Um, clearly, the player doesn't have that. So, so what happens is, is you have two simultaneous transactions. So at at midday, for example, PSG put two hundred and twenty two million euro into Neymar's bank account, and at midday and one second, the money then goes from Neymar's bank account into the account of the selling club. So that's how that's how it would would take place. In theory, a player could buy himself out, you know, go go on a beach for six months and then return to a football career. Um, and, and uh, agree to sign for another club. There's nothing to actually stop a player from doing that, um, but uh, you know, some of the more some of the higher release clauses would be prohibitive for individuals, regardless of how successful a career they would have had. Mm. Uh, bless you for asking me to confirm that it was 222 million euros that amount you were talking about. It's <laughs> <laughs> one of the reasons we get on so well. Um, our next question comes from Brad Clough. I mean, that's two good names. I mean, it's, it, Brad's good enough, isn't it? But Brad Clough, well, uh, Brad has a two-part question, he says, which I know you love. Uh, I don't mind this one. Firstly, was that a young Kevin Day in the audience for the recently repeated TV show An Audience with Jimmy Tarbuck from the mid-'90s? I've been arguing with my dad that it was. Secondly, Derby had under-18 players in their squad for the FA Cup game at Chorley who wore the 32 red sponsor shirts. Isn't there a rule which states that under-18s shouldn't wear gambling-sponsored shirts? 
and the youth team has a different sponsor. So how do they get around that rule? That's a, a good question. Uh, to answer your mm. first question, uh, Brad, yes, it was me in the audience uh, oh, with wow. Jimmy Topper. Uh, uh, I've known Jimmy for a while. I've known his daughter, Lisa, for a long time. Uh, my abiding memory of that night is that I was sitting close to Emma Freud and I found myself standing in the urinal next to Hank Marvin. So I was with two <laughs> two rhyming slang originators in the, in the same night. Uh, I, I'm never going to meet Ruby Murray, let's face it. So, but having, having been close to Emma Freud and Hank Marvin, and actually as uh, Hank Marvin and I were in the urinals during that classic mail chat, all right, all right, uh, two other I, blokes. I presume he wasn't doing the Hank Marvin uh, it wasn't, but even better, two other blokes came in and it turned out they were the rest of the shadows. So <laughs> which is, uh, what a night that was. Um, secondly, I don't know, Kieran. <laughs> oh, right. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm still reeling from that. But yeah, there's always a showbiz tale uh, that I, I look forward to from you, Kevin. You know, and uh, yeah, I, Kevin. I, 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 I was once in the urinals next to Animal from the Anti-Nowhere League. Oh, really, really? That, that, that's my that's my only celebrity toilet incident. Well, I'm prepared to admit to anyway. If that had been animal from the Muppets, that would have been. <laughs> I once shut Joan Collins' uh, ankle in a toilet door. Uh, Did you? Yes, she called me the c word. Uh, oh, really? I yeah, literally, and it was it was only five minutes since Elton John did the same thing. It wasn't the best five minutes of my life. I was going down a corridor at the Old Vic. Uh, uh, I was writing this. It's just after Kevin Spacey had taken over the old Vic, and through a long set of circumstances, I was writing Kevin Spacey's material for this gala. And I was walking down this corridor, pushed the swing doors open, and knocked Elton John over. Uh, oh, no. I know, and I tried because it was like have you seen a tortoise tried to write itself? Because that was what <laughs> I, I, I tried to help him, and he said, "Get your hands off me, you c-word." And then I, I was, I know, and then. <laughs> I thought, I thought I'll, I'll go to the toilet and cope with this situation, and I didn't realise there was somebody in there who was, for some reason, it was. So I, I slammed the door; it was open, and it was. <laughs> I caught Joan Collins' ankle in it, and she called me the. Blimey. I know. Blimey, so if, that, if I ever do write an autobiography, it would be called Joan Collins called me a, anyway. <laughs> but, um, Brad, Brad asks, uh, uh, but that, yeah, but you st- animal, animal, that's good. Um, <laughs> um, I, it's more likely that I'm going to meet people in showbiz, Kieran, in the same way it's more likely you're going to meet top accountants. <laughs> yeah, you'll, meet, you'll, meet Swiss Ramble, you'll have a Swiss Ramble story one day, don't uh, it, I'm, I'm, that would That would be the high watermark of my life. It, it is... I, I, Kieran, I, I genuinely know. Um, uh, so Brad's question, that's a good point, because uh, um, there were several uh, under-18 players in that derby team, and they were wearing the shirt of the gambling sponsor. Yeah. So I've gone to the FA handbook for 2020-21. This is why I have to get up so early on a Sunday morning. Um, uh-huh. And uh, we have the following clause. Um, it says, in the case of a team comprising players all under the age of 18 years on the 31st of August in the current season, the appearance on or incorporation in any item of clothing, football boots or or other equipment of any reference whatever to a product, service or other activity which is considered by the association as detrimental to the welfare, health or general interest of young persons is prohibited. And this includes but is not restricted to uh, age-restricted products and services such as alcohol and gambling. Oh. So could Derby get away with that? Well, if some of the players 
had reached the age of 18 on the 31st of August, then they were in the clear. If not, um, this could be added to yet another, uh, to the long list of uh, of things which they, uh, they, they've not necessarily dealt with spectacularly well. But I'm hoping that there will have been at least one 18-year-old player and therefore they're, they're in the clear. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Ah, but didn't you say all? Oh, that sounds like a, that that would be the loophole. If if did it say all the players or one? That's right. Yeah. So, right. so if, if if you've got one who is eighteen by the thirty first of August, they're in the clear. Right. Okay. Okay. That's good. Probably, yeah. They well, they don't need all the good news. They can get Derby fans, do they? Because uh, they stayed up. Although uh, we've still got another Derby question to come from a Derby fan. Uh, Stephen Dyson, this is an interesting one. That's something we haven't touched on before. Stephen Dyson said that NFL player Russell Ocone has become the first major athlete to have half of his contract paid in Bitcoin. Is this something we could expect to see further, uh, especially in football here? If so, how will it be recognised in balance sheets and what impact will it have in terms of contract value with Bitcoin being extremely volatile? And could fans start offering to pay clubs? in Bitcoin for tickets, etc. And it may surprise you to know, Kieran, that I'm not 100% sure what Bitcoin is or how it works. Right. Uh, Bitcoin is an alternative to traditional currency. So mm-hmm. instead of the dollar, sterling, the euro, uh, the ruble, um, it is a uh, an independent form of currency. It is, there is, there is a fixed number in theory, of Bitcoin, um, and it was uh, it's been around now for a few years. And as Stephen rightly said, it's something whose value increases or decreases. It can be used through blockchain as a vehicle for uh, in, uh, satisfying transactions between individuals. It has been linked to uh, organised crime because it's a way of. Uh, passing money for or passing wealth of some form from one party to another, without necessarily leading uh, leaving a a crumb trail. You know, going back to what we were talking about earlier at the start of the show. Do, 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 sorry to interrupt, just so I get this straight. Do these coins actually? Because we know whatever you say about million pound contracts, million dollar contracts, we know there are these banknotes available. We know the Bank of England has got huge gold bars, and presumably the Russian bank has. As well, does Bitcoin actually exist, or is this is it all? Uh, no, it's, it's purely digital. It's purely digital. Purely yeah, okay, digital. right? Okay. okay. And and also, you know, as as uh, somebody who likes to nerd out, if I know we think of traditional currency as as being fully backed, but it's not. Uh, if uh, if everybody went to their bank today and asked to withdraw the value of their the money that you've got mm. in your current account, every bank would fail. So banks uh, uh, actually... Uh, I'll stop you there, Kieran, not not mine. <laughs> I 
I want that last three pound, please. You can't have it. If everybody, if everybody takes their last three pound out, we're in big trouble. Yeah, I, I think banks carry probably about three to four percent of the value of bank accounts at most. Three to four percent is that all? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, that's a genuine old timey eyebrow raising moment. There, yeah, that is. Uh... <laughs> I'm going to get that three pound out tomorrow, just in case there is a run. Yeah, just, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's a. I, I didn't. I had no idea that was all it was, Kieran. Good lord! Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's called a liquidity buffer. Oh, I knew that. Obviously, obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So, so, so Stephen's question then. Yeah, back, back to Stephen's question. So, yes, I mean Ru- Russell Okong is one of the highest paid players in uh, in, in US franchise sports. So he's he's asked for. Uh, half of his salary to go in the form of Bitcoin. Um, and I think it's the, he, he was at Seattle Seahawks, I think was one of the clubs he's been associated with. Um, the the benefits to Rush, Russell Okong is that um, because uh, Bitcoin itself has a price in the same way that gold or oil has a price, if that price goes up, then the value of what he's being paid in terms of his salary can, can change. Um, and, and since this deal commenced, uh, uh, Bitcoin prices have been rising uh, because more and more people are buying them. Um, so, so that would be the benefit to, to a footballer. Um, I mean, I would, if, you, if you're a League One or League Two player um, and, you, and you're on a relatively modest income, um, I, I wouldn't be recommending it. Uh, I'd be focusing on on an unknown value of money in terms of what you can buy, which is what we have with traditional currency. Um, the, the downside is, uh, as Stephen again uh, said in, in his question, uh, is volatility. Uh, the value of Bitcoin can go down just as it can go up, as can you know. Stocks and shares, uh, as can as can commodities. So, so that's that's what you're buying into. Um, as far as its treatment in the balance sheet is concerned, uh, we will of course use our old friend mark to market approach, which would be on the on your balance sheet date, you would simply use the the price of of Bitcoin on that date to 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 determine any uh, Bitcoin assets or liabilities. I know that Tesla, um, the uh, somewhat uh, uh, erratic. Uh, car company it has huge sums of money invested in bitcoin on on its mm. balance sheet and uh, it's done very well on the back of that altogether now kieran ashes to ashes mark to market um, <laughs> why why is it so volatile kieran and can we answer Stephen's second part of the question would clubs start accepting bitcoin from me for example or you um, yes, we, we have actually seen um, in recent months, there's been one or two clubs who have been having their own coin as an alternative, oh. um, their own sort of digital currency, which would allow fans to to buy merchandise um, to to keep. Uh, so, so in theory, there could be um, a Manchester United coin. Mm. Um, which which the club could bring out as as a vehicle to 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 pay for season tickets and, and you you buy these and you can sell these. Um, so um, it, it's, yes, clubs could certainly use them. Why are they volatile? It simply comes down to uh, what I refer to as economic one hundred and one um, is, is supply and demand. You know, there, there, there's lots of rumours going around at any one point in time with regards to the. 
uh, the solidity of Bitcoin as an alternative to mm. traditional uh, money methods. And uh, when people are confident, they will buy it. If people think the price is right, if, if, if you go back to uh, trading places with Eddie Murphy, it's, it's a similar situation to, to what we've seen there in that uh, ultimately it's, uh, it's market sentiment which determines price. And um, there's, uh, there's a lot of people involved who have got vested interests with the price of Bitcoin going both up and down. See, that's the way to explain things to me, Kieran, via Eddie Murphy films. I'm fine then. I'm, I know where I am now. Um, Ashley Coates. <laughs> you know where I'm laughing in advance because you've seen it. I do indeed. Uh, Ashley Coates says, as an accountant who recently moved to the Cayman Islands, uh-huh. <laughs> One of the, somebody's doing something wrong, Kieran, on this podcast, really. Um, uh, Ashley, by the way, if you see producer guy over there, do say hello to him from us, won't you? Um, so Ashley Coates, is not, <laughs> Ashley Coates is not. Uh, I, I imagine they were drinking the same pub in the Cayman Islands. Ashley says he's not only an accountant who's recently moved to the Cayman Islands. I hope that was voluntarily, by the way, Ashley. Uh, he's also a Derby fan, uh, and Ashley says your pod really appeals to me, as I never miss an episode out here in the sun. My question is this. Um, <laughs> Is, is Finley tickling you? <laughs> You've discussed a few times now how the proceeds from iFollow is split between teams. We have indeed. However, being outside the UK, I have a Derby County iFollow subscription for £12.50 a month. So how is that £12.50 split between clubs, or is it simply Derby's to keep since they provide the service? Um, right. I mean, trying to get to the bottom of this is actually quite a tricky one. Ultimately, um, I believe that the EFL does hold the rights uh, to uh, two matches undertaken uh, by the the 72 members. So therefore, um, a a club which does not subscribe to iFollow, and there are a lot of them, uh, Bournemouth, Cardiff, Forest, Stoke, Sunderland, Forest Green Rovers, um, and, and and quite a few others. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I, I assumed every club subscribed to iFollow. That's interesting to know. No, no. Um, I think a number of them were unhappy with either the quality of the service ah, okay. or some of the terms and conditions. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, there's quite a few clubs there that that do have decent sized followings. Yeah, we, we, yeah. We're looking, you know, Sunderland, Stoke, Forest, Derby, yeah, Cardiff. Yeah, yeah, these are all, yeah. yeah, they're all pretty sizable clubs. Um, what I presume they would do, um, and uh, we do know that people from the EFL listen to us, so if they want to drop us a line, because we'd be most grateful, mm. um, it would be that the the football club itself would agree a fee with the EFL for the rights, and then Derby County would sell um, its, uh, in, in the case of Derby County, its Rams TV. Um, uh, it would then sell Rams TV to, to fans. And uh, you know, in an ideal world, the the amount it pays to the EFL is less than the the amount received from Derby fans worldwide, and it makes a profit. Mm-hmm. You just, 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 Finley just turned the spin dryer on, hasn't he? <laughs> That's right. Yes, <laughs> he's a very talented dog. We've got all the sound effects going to them, haven't we? Um, <laughs> Have we finished that question, Kieran? We have, we have, yeah, yeah, we have, have yeah. yeah, it was just a very pleasing image of um, Ashley, the accountant, sitting on the beach in the Cayman Islands yesterday watching Derby on his on his iFollow as Guy bought him another cocktail with a gold tray. Um, <laughs> Warren Bennett is a Preston fan, and Warren is a Preston fan who's worried about having four 
of their main players out of contract in a few weeks. Warren, you're a lightweight. Palace have got 11 out of contract. But Warren's worried about replacing these players if they do go, particularly as Preston have uh, to struggle to compete on wages. Uh, His question is, if they have to uh, get replacement players from the championship, of championship level, championship quality, how many championship teams are currently under a transfer embargo and therefore their players won't be available? Or does that mean they can only not buy players rather than not sell players? Well, they can only buy players. I I think these clubs have what's referred to as a soft embargo, where they can only buy players uh, if they have approval from the EFL. And it tends to be on the basis of one out, one in, i.e. you cannot increase your overall um, wage bill. Now, we did actually run this as a story a a few weeks ago Mm. when uh, I think Coventry uh, initially broke the story saying we're pretty cheesed off because uh, Rishi Sunak has given us an extra three months to publish our accounts for Mm. 2020. Uh, because apparently there's some sort of bug going around, you know, which is, which is you know, uh, which is giving people a slight, you know, it's, it's a very, very serious pandemic on the back of it, and therefore that's uh, disrupted the ability of uh, you know, businesses globally uh, to uh, to sort of do back office work, um, and therefore um, I'm, I'm going to give uh, every company in the country uh, the option of delaying submitting their accounts for three months. The EFL said, well, that doesn't wash with us. Mm. So um, Coventry, Birmingham, Blackburn, Cardiff, Derby County, Huddersfield Town, Luton, Reading, Sheffield Wednesday and Stoke are, if these stories are correct, all subject to uh, that embargo. Now, we have seen some of those clubs. I think Reading have published their accounts for uh, 2020. Um, I think Birmingham might have done as well. We are we are starting to see some of those clubs now start to produce their accounts. So my understanding is that either a the you know, that those embargoes will be lifted by the EFL on mass because it, it realizes that it doesn't look too good and it it, it is it is quite you know, it, it is restrictive um, upon those clubs. But clearly, not not this wouldn't really help Warren and Preston because they, they'd like to be in a stronger position mm. than those other clubs. Um, or um, as they as, as they publish them one by one, they, they automatically drop out of, of the embargo. So that that's where we stand uh, this summer. But uh, the, there are talks of at least two of those clubs um, in in that list that I've given you um, being potentially subject to financial fair play charges. Uh, in respect of the losses that they've made over the last three years. And I'd Mm. rather not name those clubs uh, at present. Fair enough. Um, My apologies to Warren Bennett. I think I got the emphasis wrong. I think Warren was more worried about how many clubs are able to come in for Preston's players rather than how many clubs would have players available should those players go, if you see what I mean. But, um, oh, I, yeah, think, yeah, I think yeah. we have sorted it out um, anyway. Yeah. Now, Kieran, I'm aware that um, <laughs> we're recording slightly. Um, people took took it amiss when I said we were recording early last week at half nine. People were, that's not early, says people. It, <laughs> it, it, it is. It, it is. In my world. They're, not, they're not showbiz, folks. Exactly. But we're... <laughs> We're a little bit later today, and I'm aware, Kieran, that there is some kind of um, meaningless Premier League game on BBC uh, at midday, uh, which I shall be watching, of course, uh, with my feet up, securing the knowledge that we've already uh, got ourselves safe. But anyway, here's here's the long question. Um, uh, <laughs> if I'm not out in half an hour, fetch another comedian to finish the pod. <laughs> I, 
I'll give you Jason Manford's number. Um, and it's a, it's a good question, though. It just it takes we we just we take the pretty route is basically what I'm saying. Uh, the question is from John T, who says, without wanting to mention the dreaded D word again, when Derby County sold their stadium, a lot. Of, <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, Derby fans. A lot of attention was paid to whether they paid the correct amount for the stadium. I've always wondered, does or should the same attention be paid to transfer fees? For example, as Chelsea paid the release clause to Athletic Bilbao for Kepa Ariza Balaga in 2018, we know he cost £71.6 million. But when they decided he wasn't good enough and replaced him with Edouard Mendy for £22 million from Wren, uh, then they replaced him rather. And my question is, uh, if I was sporting director of Wren and Chelsea offered me £22 million to replace a keeper worth £71.6 million, shouldn't I be asking for at least that amount? Right, I'm back. Did I miss anything? But it's a, it's a, <laughs> it was the scenic, but it's a, it's a, it's a very fair question because it's, you know, you don't know whether Chelsea want Mendy as a replacement keeper or as a backup keeper. But if they've, if you know they've just paid seventy one point six million and now they're looking to bring another keeper, and you say, well, he's got to be worth more than twenty two million. Yes, yeah, I, I can I can understand John T. Is is, is uh, if you're talking about Chelsea goal, is is there somebody called John T. from Chelsea that we should be aware of? Uh, possibly, who mm-hmm. might be next Palace manager? That John T. You mean? Oh, really? Oh, yeah, okay. he's on the list. Yeah, yeah. along with every other event. Yeah, <laughs> I like John T. Um, he sounds like John T. And I just that just made me laugh. But <laughs> um. In the in the case of uh, Ren, um, I think we've really got to come down here to the the position that that French football finds itself in. In that uh, the, ah, the okay. we mentioned before, TV deals collapsed. Yeah. French football is in crisis, and therefore, it to a certain extent, clubs are willing to accept fire sale prices uh, because of the uh, of the need to pay the bills as they fall due. Um, if I was Chelsea, I would have simply said, uh, "Yeah, we've 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 vastly overpaid for Kepa. We, we've dropped a we've you know we, we've dropped a brick here, mm. and the price we paid for him isn't isn't indicative of his market worth. Um, so therefore, we can't use that as a benchmark when right. signing Mendy. And it, and the other issue, of course, could be that um, sort of linking linking seamlessly to an earlier question, mm. perhaps Bernard Mendy, oh, sorry, uh, Mendy had a. Uh, release clause in his contract, which said that if somebody comes in with a 22 million, or say 20, 22 million sterling, we should probably 25 million euro offer, then he's entitled to talk to the other club, and and that could have been part of the driver for the for the transfer fee paid. Ah, uh, interesting. Okay. Uh, next question, Kieran, comes from David Finlayson, and it's another question about American sport uh, in the NBA. Says David, the main way to get off a guaranteed bad contract is to trade the player and attach a draft pick, usually to a team who's rebuilding and has saved cap space for the opportunity. Uh, you're going to have to answer this question, Kieran. Um, <laughs> do you see any financial way that clubs operating under financial fair play rules with room could absorb a bad contract, in inverted commas, and be able to receive something back in return? Right. Um, for those people not familiar with, with the way that the NBA works, is if you've got an existing player who's earning a lot of money um, and for whatever reason he's not delivering. Um, One way of dealing with this is to uh, take advantage of the draft system. So you sign a really promising youngster 
um, who is in demand from practically every club in the NBA, but you've got him because under the way that the, the NBA draft works, um, the club that finishes bottom of the NBA has first dibs. And then uh, so it, it's done on a, on a club by club basis. And, and the club which wins the NBA, it gets, gets the last pick. Um, so you're therefore able to potentially offer the, the the rubbish player who's overpaid with the promising upcoming player as part of an overall deal to another club. Um, and uh, this, uh, this this is a way of getting uh, wages off the off your bill. Um, can that work in in football? Well I, I think it would be very difficult to do so. Because uh, first of all, we don't have a draft system, mm. um, and if you were to say that we've got, uh, you know, l- let's say that if we took the position of uh, Arsenal trying to get rid of Ozil, uh, so uh, now they they could have said to was it Fenerbahce that mm-hmm. uh, that he went to that w- as it, we we will throw in to the deal um, one of our promising youngsters as well. Um, if if you take on all of Ozil's uh, wages, mm. so so that that would be one way conceivably of doing it, but uh, it's it's far more complicated when you don't have sealed leagues and you don't have the the players realistically having very little say as to their destination. You know, in in uh, American sports, it is very much the clubs are in charge of trades. Um, whereas it's uh, it's far more of an even issue here. You know, a club, a player might have a number of suitors, and uh, he can he can choose from one of them. Uh, but we we do see some strange uh, ways of getting around FFP, and, and I think again we've we've spoken about this before. If if we take a look at the swap of Arthur and Pjanic mm. between mm. Barcelona and Juve. Uh, both of whom were sold for what seemed to be very, very high prices, but because they were done in a player swap, um, yeah, no cash actually took hands. So it's it's a bit like um, you you giving me a cheese sandwich and I give you some organic quinoa, um, and we both say, well, the value of those deals is a million pounds for each of uh, for each of us, and no cash takes hands, and we both made a million pounds profit each. Hmm. Is there a way we can do it? Never mind. <laughs> And Benjamin Toast. So that's funny. You mentioned cheese sandwich, and our next question comes from Benjamin Toast. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he's, he's never ever fed up with jokes about his name. <laughs> I'm, Benjamin, I can only apologise, uh, especially as your question is very good and very succinct. Benjamin's question is: What is the average crowd needed for a League Two club to break even? Right, um, because individual clubs have varying. Uh, attendances. What I did instead here is I worked out, well, how many more fans would we require for each club? Because you know, some are bigger than others, you know, but Bolton get big crowds in League Two. And congratulations to Bolton, yes, by the way, indeed, yeah. on promotion yesterday. Um, and uh, you know, Morecambe don't. Uh, and uh, you know, good luck to Morecambe in the in the playoffs and, uh, and Tranmere and some of my friends there as well. Um, but uh, looking at League Two, uh, based on my calculations, the average losses were £660,000 a year. Um, if we exclude VAT, because clubs don't get to keep the VAT, um, and you take into consideration the number of concessions in terms of young people and old people, I'm working that the clubs probably get 
15 pounds per fan per home match in terms of what goes into their pocket um putting all those sums into a calculator um each club in league 2 would have to increase its attendances by 1913 fans on average Crikey. in order to break even and that's mm. not easy that's not easy is it especially in the current circumstances and trying to lure people back. Thank you for that question, Benjamin, and thank you to everyone who has become a patron of our pod via our Patreon site, including David Trangmar, Joel Pivoteau, and Robert Curtis, who says he has dreams of becoming the second most boring man on earth and a spreadsheet apprentice. That's the spirit, because dreaming of becoming the most (laughs) boring man on earth would be dangerously ambitious. I'm not taking. I, I, I think. I think he's. Uh, I think he's implying that uh, that, oh. that, uh, that that uh, particular uh, status symbol is, is held by one of us, Kevin. Yes, I, I know. I know what he's implying, uh, Kieran. He's implying that because he hasn't heard some of the stuff we don't broadcast. That's why he's <laughs> implying that. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to our always free to air podcast, then please go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. And of course, if you have any questions for us on any aspect of football finance. Email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Thursday with our news pod, including that big Man United story. And in the meantime, I shall pass you over to Kieran Maguire, man of a thousand sound effects, to say goodbye. (laughs) Uh, Well, once again, folks, thanks for all the feedback. Uh, Remember, in terms of Patreon, um, £1 a month uh, is... Is, is will get, get you our eternal thanks, I can assure you. Mm. Um, so we are trying to put on uh, as good a show as possible. Uh, if you can give us some feedback through the uh, Apple app, uh, give us five stars, put a comment. doesn't matter what you say about us. We, we, we've got thick skins, um, uh, but it does help us in the charts and it helps us when we are trying to get uh, the, the type of uh, guests that we have had recently, you know, to get club owners, to get people who are in charge of uh, football in various countries is is is, uh, is a feather in our cap, and uh, you know it. You you help us to do that in terms of adding credibility to the show. Uh, apart from that, love to all. Look after yourselves. Let's enjoy the sun. A pound a month, guys. Set that bar low, any? <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. I'm for the